Merry Christmas. Wow. Wow. Uh, I, I think some of you, uh, the snow has caused you, the cold has caused you to slow down, and uh, uh, you, you are not exhibiting the energy that my wife was exhibiting when I first saw her this morning. She just was lit. I just like, oh, Merry Christmas, just energized uh, by Christmas. We we are celebrating Christmas here at Hope Community Church. We're glad you're with us. Uh, I'm excited to be able to, to preach on the birth of Jesus, but, but you should know something. Uh, we have the chance to connect with other pastors, other church planters, and not all pastors and church planters and preachers like this time of year. It presents challenges to them of, Hey, how are we going to address Christmas and the birth narrative of Jesus? And we actually, in our most recent gathering of church planters and pastors, we thought, oh, it'd just be, it'd just be good to generate some ideas. Like, what are other preachers speaking on? And we went around the table to hear what sermon series they were doing. And one after another after another confessed we're not doing anything for Christmas. We're not doing a Christmas sermon series. We're just going to preach whatever they're preaching on, and, and whether Genesis or uh, Philippians or uh, well, I think one of them was doing uh, Habakkuk or Habakkuk, however you pronounce it. And, and they're just going to do that kind of right up to Christmas, and then they'll just boom, hit, hit Christmas all in one, and then move on. And it wasn't long before Steve was like, you know, uh, this is not helpful. We're trying to help one another generate ideas for this. Um, but even Steve, I mean, he preached Christmas sermon series for a number of years. And when I started preaching here at Hope, that was one of the first things, the batons that he handed me. It was like, hey, figure out what we're doing for Christmas. Hey, uh, I'm, you know, generate some ideas. And so I can remember coming up with Cinematic Christmas. I don't know if any of you guys were around for that. We talked about like movies, holiday movies, and then kind of got into uh, the Christmas story. But whether you're ready for it or not, Christmas is here. Uh, for some of you, this is still a little bit early for you to be starting. For, for my family, my wife loves Christmas, so we're kind of nearing the end of the holiday, uh, kind of coming to the last quarter turn here. Um, but we have those things and those traditions that kind of cue us into, hey, it's Christmas and and I've just been seeing on Facebook different pictures. You, people have different traditions, whether it's going to their kids' like choir, Christmas choir concert, or to uh, the orchestra, or Nutcracker, or whatever. For us, we like to go to the Christmas Carol. That's one of our things that we do. Not every year. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but the, the prices. I mean, they, you know, we want to support theater, uh, but we also can't do it every year. You know, so we uh, we did go to the Christmas Carol, and and. I, as I've been thinking about Christmas and thinking about some of these traditions, I mean, I don't know what percent sit in a, an audience at the Christmas Carol, uh, but I wonder how many of you are sitting here and you've already seen this? And I got to believe it's like in the 90th percent, right? Like probably 90, 95% of people have sat through that and yet return, come back again. And there's, there's a small percentage, our boys were in the small percentage who are like, they've never They've never, never been to the Guthrie to take in the Christmas Carol. And so for them, for that, you know, and probably a small minority in that group, they're in that. They, they've never seen it. They're taking it in for the first time. And, and so it just caused me to think, why, why do we do it? Those who have seen it and sat through it, why, 
why do you do it? And, and for me, I came to this scene, you know, just like the final culminating scene. There are many in uh, this year's performance, and I commend this, uh, you know, this theater and this performance. It just gives you all the feels. I mean, it's so fantastic. And, and you just can, you can almost hear Tiny Tim there saying, what? God bless us. Everyone. And you're just like, that's it. That's why I came. I want to be blessed. And I was by this performance and by those words. And it's just, there's something about holidays and traditions and the experiences we have. You just, just enjoy them. You just enjoy the experience, the build up, the anticipation, but then just going through it and going through it with my wife who loves Christmas, but then for the first time taking our boys through it. It's so exciting for us and and for many of you, the, the, the Christmas story in the Bible, for 90, I don't know, 95% of you, this is, this is nothing new. But there's a percentage of you where maybe you just haven't heard the true meaning of Christmas and what Christmas is all about. We're going to talk about the birth of Jesus, which in theological terms is known as the Incarnation. I grew up at a church called Incarnation. And if you had quizzed me, what does Incarnation mean? I wouldn't have been able to tell you. And so there are Groups of people that come to church and they just haven't had an opportunity to learn more about Jesus. But if, if you're in the camp where you've heard these things before, we do so for your benefit, that you can celebrate, that you can be reminded of how amazing it is that, that Christmas even exists, that there was ever a birth of Jesus the Messiah. And we're, we're going about it through a certain filter, that of awkward family photos and how does that connect? What do you mean by that? And, and to, to further kind of blaze this trail and get us ready, you know, kind of tromping through the snow for the first time, what do I, you, you know what we're talking about, right? You know, I got this family who's confused. Uh, they don't know if it's Easter. They don't know if it's Christmas. I don't know if they're trying to make a theological statement that Christmas is setting the way for Easter and Good Friday. I don't know. But but Christmas photos get really bad when your pet is communicating, hey, I, I mean, come on. You know, and this, this dog right here, he's like, <laughs> like he, he is, through, through his facial appearance, reaching out to all of us saying, come on, like, can you seriously do something about my owner? Uh, this, is, this is uncalled for. There are times where we need to help our parents we need to help them understand, like, Mom, Dad, come, like, come on. Like, I just don't know if that's, I don't know if that's the Christmas photo for you guys. Love you guys, support you. I just don't know if that's what, when you want to communicate faith, hope, and love at the Christmas season, I don't know, Mom and Dad, if this is your picture. That's their tombstone. Like, Mom, Dad, like, Oh, like, I believe in being with Jesus after we die. I believe all of that. I just don't know if this is communicating the faith and hope and love that you, oh, oh, man. Come on. I love you. Don't do that. For some of us, the, the holidays, they're just tough, and all of a sudden you're just surprised, like, oh, oh no, it's just a couple weeks away now, and we feel like this, this young child, just like, you, <laughs> you just can't, you're just like, 
panicked. You can't realize all that you need to do over the next couple weeks. Some of you are students and you have finals. Some of you are just like, I don't know. I'm going to get all the meal prep, all the presents wrapped. Uh, I, I, it's, it's too much. It's overwhelming. I'm telling you, this is, if, if you find yourself, you know, feeling how this child feels, uh, you're going to need to take urgent action or it will become this. Uh, and so you need... <laughs> We need to help one another. But I'm, I, I submit to you that, that when we look at the birth narrative of Jesus, okay, we don't tend to think awkward family photo, but I'm telling you, it is. This is an awkward dynamic, and I want to walk through the birth narrative from the perspective of Joseph. Next week, Steve is going to look through the filter of uh, Mary. And then we're going to get a chance on Christmas Day, uh, Pastor Drew's going to talk about this birth narrative from the perspective of a child. And then we're going to close out this series on New Year's Day, and we're going to look at just the birth narrative from the perspective of the church. How should we as a church look and understand this? And so I want to, I want to take you to Matthew's account, Matthew's gospel, and look at the birth of Jesus from the perspective of, of Joseph, his father. What does this look like? What did this feel like? And again, for some of you, this is old hat. And so I I hope that through this, you're maybe being awoken again to the majesty of God and and God at work in the world. I was um, reading through different things to get prepared for today. And and there's a quote at the end of The Last Battle and and, um, just looking at um, if you know, kind of, that's the final book in the series with the lion, the witch, and the road robe, the, the stories of Narnia, and just this idea coming to the end of all that's happened. And there's this scene where this kind of, this room that they go into is far bigger, far greater than they would have ever imagined, just from the outside looking at it, just doesn't seem right. And then it's reflected, this, this idea of the manger is the same. It's, a, it's very similar. You look at the manger and you just go, oh, small, quaint. And yet inside that manger is so much more than we could possibly imagine as far as God's plan, God's wisdom, God's glory, God's salvation. And then the question is asked by this this commentator, how did the walls of that manger not just burst with all that God was doing through it? And so um, I want to walk through this. I'm going to read the passage. I'm going to read through Matthew's account. I'm just going to make some remarks. If you're not quite ready to celebrate Christmas, hopefully by the end of this, you're, you're ready, you're, you're getting excited. And for some of you that are new, that you'll learn about the birth of Jesus and its implications, its importance for us. So let me, let me read in Matthew chapter 1 here. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name 
Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. I want to jump ahead in the story. I'm going to skip kind of the the account with the wise men coming to Jesus and Herod's response to it. I want to jump ahead just to one more account here in chapter 2. When they, the Magi, had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. So that's our count. That's God's word for us this morning. I want to walk through it and give you some things to consider some things to meditate on, hopefully some things that will lead you to worship of God during this holiday season, and, and more specifically, to look at Jesus, who is both fully God and fully man. Because I think in Joseph's account, we're actually going to see him struggle on two, two lines, and one is at a human level, and one is at a spiritual level. And so it kind of mirrors what we see in Jesus, fully man, fully God, Okay, we're going to see Joseph struggling at both an earthly level and at a spiritual, uh, heavenly level. And so I want to jump into the narrative back at uh, verse 18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. All right? So this is God saying, I'm sending my son into the world. And this is Matthew kind of taking record of it. Uh, Matthew and Luke have records of the birth narrative, but we don't. In the two other gospels, neither uh, Mark or John record kind of this birth account, rest of the New Testament, largely absent. And so we need to just give this its, its weight and, and its pause here. But we just, this is it. This is, what, this is how God decided to do it. And because and, I think there are times where we think through like, how would I have done it? And why, why did he choose this method? Why, why would God have done it that way? Like some of you Harry Potter fans, like why not flu powder where you just, he was up there and then he came down here and that was, that was it. Okay, this is just this is God's word, and we sit under it. We we let it inform and teach us, and that's what we're going to do. So Jesus, the Messiah, and for some of you who don't know that word Messiah, this is just another way of saying, hey, there was one foretold about in the Old Testament, one that they were waiting on, this anointed one, this coming one, okay, this special one, Jesus. Jesus is identified as this coming one, this anointed one, this special one that was precipitated or foretold about in the Old Testament. He's here. This is him. And so now we get the chance to hear more about his story. And yet I want to highlight right from the onset this incarnation that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And that was decided upon and and further understood through a series of historic councils of Christian leaders trying to understand how God could become a man, how Jesus was fully God and fully man. I want to actually read from the creedal statement of the Council of 451 on this. 
okay? Because this is not easy stuff. And they wrestled. The church fathers, patriarchs wrestled through. How are we supposed to understand this? So let me read this for you. It says, we, these, these leaders, these council members, following the Holy Fathers, all with one, one consent, teach people to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, of a reasonable, rational soul and body, consubstantial or coessential with the Father according to the Godhead, and consubstantial with us according to personhood. In all things, like unto us, yet without sin. Begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead, and in these latter days, for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, according to manhood. Continues. One and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably. Could take a sermon on each one of those adjectives. The distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son, and only begotten, God, the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning Him, and the Lord Jesus Christ Himself has taught us, and the creed of the Holy Fathers has been handed down to us. Okay? lot there. A lot of theology. A lot of background. A lot of history. Right? But it's important for us as people in this century to know that the people that came before us wrestled through, trying to understand, how is this possible? That we're worshiping one God, eternally existing as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. And that the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, became a man, became a person. Another way, a little bit more simplistic way of saying it is, remaining what he was, God, he became what he was not, man. But this is a historic, orthodox understanding of the Christian faith and of the incarnation that Jesus, born of Mary, is fully God and fully man. We have to start there. That's just a foundational understanding of this thing called the incarnation. Okay, so now let's, with that, kind of as a background, as a setup, let's walk through our story. It says, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. All right? This in some ways looks like engagement in our culture, yet it has a layer of legality that is absent in our culture, okay? So it's, it's somewhere between engagement and marriage as we understand it, somewhere in between that, okay? So this idea that she's pledged to be married to Joseph. But then it says this, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Before they came together, consummating their marriage sexually, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And this, if, if you're familiar with the Christmas story, if you've read this before and you've celebrated this before, 
you might just read right through that and not understand how awkward this would be for Joseph. I'm just thinking like gathering around the Christmas table, right? And, and Jacob is there, Joseph's father, and like, so hey, Joseph, how, how's it going? What's new, right? And, and Joseph has to confess like, well, um, Mary's pregnant and not by me. I mean, that, that just is like, um, oh, uh, that just adds a layer of like awkwardness around kind of the Christmas table, okay? That's, that's, that's challenging. That presents uh, a little bit of uniqueness here. Now let's, let's continue on here because we're going to add awkwardness to it here, but, but we got to give Joseph a lot of credit. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And you might not think like, oh, Jesus was this righteous guy. Some of your translations don't say faithful to the law. They say righteous, which is another way of saying just. He's a just man. It doesn't mean he's without sin. That's not what it's trying to get after. But it is saying this is a, God, this is a guy who loved God and wanted to follow God's word for his life and for his soon-to-be marriage. Okay, So it says he's faithful to the law. But then look at this. He did not want to expose her to public disgrace. What does that mean? Well, it means that in situations where the Holy Spirit doesn't play a role in conception, okay, the understanding would be you had sex with somebody not your spouse. And that has implications. As part of that, okay, this idea of not wanting to expose her to public disgrace, this idea of having an adulterous relationship would open her up to a measure of public disgrace. And so how does Joseph handle it? Okay? He says he had in mind to divorce her quietly. No, divorce, in our kind of understanding, says, well, then they, be, they must be married in order for that to result in divorce. Again, we're somewhere between engagement and marriage in this kind of uh, relationship between Joseph and Mary. And so that idea of divorce does not actually communicate what we're looking for. It's been, better rendered release. He had in mind to release her quietly. And this idea of how does, how does releasing her quietly keep her from being exposed to public disgrace, right? That's kind of like, how does that happen? How does the one give light to the other? Well, you have to kind of put it in a, a prison context. This is, this is a, a prisoner being released with the presumption of innocence, okay? So in Mary's case, Joseph is believing the best about her and saying, I, I don't want to open you up to public disgrace, so I'm going to release you from this soon-to-be covenant here where we're pledged to be married. We're going to, I'm going to release you from that under the presumption of innocence. And that's the way by which he tries to protect her. It reminds me a little bit of the Christmas carol, right, where Belle comes to Ebenezer and says, I release you. I release you. The, the circumstances under which our engagement happened have changed. And I love you for the man you were, but now you're, 
You're different. You've, you have a different first love. And so in Joseph's case, he releases her with a presumption of innocence and doesn't open her up to public disgrace. That's his intent. That's his desire. Now, the awkwardness increases. It says, after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So it's not just that Joseph has to acknowledge to his dad around the Christmas table that, that his wife is pregnant by someone not him. He actually has to say, and dad, guess what? What's growing inside her, this baby is from the Holy Spirit. That there was no other man involved. It was God the Spirit bringing forth conception. I mean, that's, that's awkward. Now, Again, for 90, 95%, you're like, you've heard this. But, I mean, imagine actually being in that case that you would have to go to your parents this holiday and express something like that. I mean, your parents would look at you and just say, are you out of your mind? That's absurd. How foolish of you to actually believe her. Or, in this case, to believe an angel describing this. We can't neglect at this season how fantastic the idea, the wisdom of God in the incarnation. And there's no passage that I've come through in my years of, of looking at the incarnation better than what Packer, J.I. Packer, puts together here. And I actually brought it up this past Easter because it, it brings to the, together kind of the, the big ideas of, of the incarnation that, that God came as born of a woman. But it couples with the idea of the crucifixion and resurrection. Why Jesus came in order to save. And Packer does a great job highlighting how fantastic the incarnation. I want to I read, because this is, this is absurd. This is crazy that God became a man. It's a, uh, J.I. begins here, In fact, the real difficulty, the supreme mystery with which the gospel confronts us lies not in the Good Friday message of atonement nor in the Easter message of resurrection, but in the Christmas message of incarnation. The, the really, truly staggering Christian claim is that Jesus of Nazareth was God-made man, that the second person of the Godhead became the second man, uh, Adam of Adam and Eve kind of being the first man, then Jesus being the second man, determining human destiny, the second representative head of the race, and that he took humanity without loss of deity, so that Jesus of Nazareth was as truly and fully divine as he was human. Do you hear that? Here are two mysteries for the price of one. The plurality of persons within the unity of God, meaning we, we worship a triune God, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, yet one God. And the union of Godhead and manhood in the person of Jesus. It is here, in the thing that happened at the first Christmas, that the profoundness and most unfathomable depths of the Christian revelation lie. The Word was made flesh. The Son became a man. God became man. The divine Son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises. I love that phrase. 
needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. And there was no illusion or deception in this. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the Incarnation. The babyhood of Jesus, who is Savior, Lord over all. In infancy, he needed to be changed. That's just, that's just weird. That's awkward. Changing the pants of the Son of God. It's just unique, altogether awkward and amazing. And that he would just sit in his manger bed and wriggle. Like, I don't know why that word for me just stands out. Just this idea that Jesus, in all his glory, I mean, angels filled the night sky. And you just imagine, like, every angel wanted to be there, right? You don't want to miss out on this moment. Just to watch him wriggle and cry. Right? It's fantastic. Continuing on in our passage, it says, she will give birth to a son. Mary will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So you get this declaration over his son of what his life is going to look like and its meaning for people. And just one passage on this from Luke's account here. It says, There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said these words, pronouncing these words, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. No matter what you take from today's message, make sure you hear that Jesus is born that he might save. That that cross behind me communicates something. It communicates a connection between Christmas and Easter. The manger and the cross have connections. That amongst all that Jesus came and did and taught, and we spent two years looking at Luke's gospel of all that Jesus said and did and taught and performed miracles, it was so that he might save. Save you, save me in the midst of our sin, our imperfections. Again, I grew up going to church. I did not hear that. I did not have ears to hear that message. So when we sing the Christmas songs and you hear just this idea of a Savior, that, that this one who's born is an infant and that we would somehow worship him as a king or as a lord or as a savior. Because of God's designs and God's plans for him. Ultimately, it's not just he came to wriggle. He came to save. He came to save you. So it's not just, you know, some of this awkwardness that came before and, and hearing that Joseph was not the father and that 
this baby was conceived of the Holy Spirit. It's also that the Scripture has said this. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. This comes from Isaiah. Just, wait, the Scripture said this? Like, Scripture said what? That this was going to take place? The Scripture has been forecasting this, telling us that this was going to happen. And on the virgin birth of Christ, famous Presbyterian minister says this, Everyone admits that the Bible represents Jesus as having been conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. The only question is whether in making that representation, the Bible is true or false. To bring that down to our level, do you believe it? Do you believe when the Bible says this? Do you actually hold that it's true and do you believe it? Continuing on in our story, says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Again, we see Joseph as a just man, as a righteous man, as a faithful follower of God, doing what he's told. Right there in Scripture, it says, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do. He took Mary home as his wife. And then we get this brief account of the Magi coming to worship and Herod wanting to, uh, to kill this newborn king. He had got, caught wind of that. And I want to jump ahead to the other side of that story. It says, when the Magi had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Again, not going too quickly through this, but just pausing and putting yourself in Joseph's shoes. His family must already be looking at him and just saying, what is going on with our son? I recognize that pregnancy can do all sorts of things to a, a soon-to-be mom or dad. Just kind of confuse you, drive you a little bit crazy, just a worry and concern and what's going on. And, but now he's going to his parents and saying, somebody is out to kill our newborn son. We need to escape. We need to go. You know, I'm just thinking of like a grandmother's heart, a grandfather's heart of like, no, no, you're going to stay here so I can hold my grandbaby. I mean, this is, this is weird from an earthly perspective. If you don't have this background, if you don't have this kind of angel coming at night, you're just watching Joseph and he's telling you these stories, you're just like, you've lost your mind. It closes here. So he got up. Again, a just, righteous, God-fearing, God-loving man. He gets up. He takes the child and his mother during the night, and they leave for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And so Joseph, in his obedience, is fulfilling what the Scripture had foretold. I want to pause right here now and consider a couple things. I want to consider this from Joseph's perspective. Okay? And just like we can consider the incarnation, so let's go fully man, fully God. I want to look at a couple things from Joseph's human perspective. Okay? And then I also want to consider it from like a, a spiritual, unseen, divine perspective. Okay? 
I want to take this incarnation, and I just want to consider it now for Joseph, and, and as he's looking at this, this newborn son and what he's experiencing there. Because from an earthly level, okay, this Christmas for Joseph could be described very simply. And you can go back and read this account. Like, test this for yourself, okay? From an earthly, physical, human level, this is what it looked like for Joseph. Take Mary home as your wife. Name the boy Jesus. Take your family to Egypt. Right? Another way of saying that is, it's a dad's life. I mean, this is what, this is what you do, okay? Uh, first comes love and marriage, Okay, then comes the baby in the baby manger, right? And then you go on a road trip. This is just like, this is family life from an earthly perspective, okay? Take a wife, you know, and name your son, and then go to Egypt or the Dells. Uh, I don't know, I mean, where, where are you going this winter? You tell me, where are you, where are you, t- where are you going, um, okay? So from an earthly Physical perspective, it's just like, from the outside, again, one indication just be like, oh, Joseph's just doing what men do that have a family. But consider what God is asking of him from a spiritual level, from a divine, heavenly, God has, has spiritual realities in play, like fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies are in play here. Joseph, trust an angel of the Lord more than your own judgment, right? His own judgment said, I've been cheated on. I'm going to divorce her quietly. And so God is asking him to trust the testimony of an angel more than his own judgment. Trust that his baby, that this baby was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Trust God in that, in that reality, in that spiritual divine reality. And trust Jesus will save his people and himself from their sins. That your boy is going to save you. That your son is going to save you. I mean, especially as Jesus goes through his development, right? From wriggling to having to learn how to die. Like, no, he's going to save you. So considering this from Joseph's perspective, there are some just earthly, physical realities, but there's also some spiritual, unseen things that are pressing on his his mind and his heart that he's called to have faith and believe and trust in. I want to use that now to kind of transition to us this Christmas season. What What does it mean, this importance of the incarnation of Jesus for us here at Hope? And I actually want to use that same paradigm of kind of like earthly and heavenly. Like physically and then kind of like uh, unseen, invisible realities this Christmas. Okay? Because for some of you, you tend toward one or the other on this Christmas season. Okay? So let's start with kind of the physical challenges this holiday season. For some of you, you are so caught up in finals. Okay? Just studying and that's all you see. And then you will throw yourself down in a heap like Christmas Eve, right? Just because you're like, you are just 100 miles per hour until then. And then all of a sudden, Christmas will be be thrust upon you. For some of you, it's the same sprint, but it's in getting presents. It's in planning for family. Or you're getting ready to 
pack up all of your house and, and take it somewhere to go visit someone, okay? So you have all these physical, earthly pressures. For some of you, it's deadlines. You have deadlines before the holidays at work. And so you're not even thinking spiritual. You're just at a physical, earthly, all I can see is what is in front of me level. And you struggle to actually consider, God, in the midst of this, how am I supposed to have you in mind and in heart? How am I supposed to worship? How am I I supposed to celebrate Christmas when all I can see is the next thing? For others of you, it is the most wonderful time of the year. (laughs) It is for you just a a spiritually poignant moment in your year. You love the Christmas songs. They're, They're rich in theology And you love it, but in doing so, you disengage from a lot of life, a lot of family. There's there's a lot of family awkwardness, family brokenness, and how you get through the holidays is just you and Jesus are going to have this spiritual moment of the year together, and you're going to remain absent from life, absent from family, absent from friends. You're just going to disengage. That's why I want to call us back to what we see in Jesus today. Jesus was not just partially present in the world and fully God. He was fully man, fully present in this world. Seeing all of life as important, all of those relationships as important, and at the same time being fully God taking moments with his father for worship, stealing time away in order to get re-energized that he might re-engage. Looking at it from the other side, he's fully God. Fully God. But in that, right, in that full Godness, the manger, the incarnation, he became a man. And so I think we want to avoid either extreme where we highlight one over and against the other. And again, I think it's a human tendency, a human temptation to highlight one as more important than the other. Yet in the incarnation, fully God, fully man. So this Christmas season, what do you need so that you can engage on both fronts? That which is physically in front of you, needing to be addressed, that comes with the holidays at an earthly, physical, visible level, And yet, just as important, the spiritual, unseen, invisible realities that are impacting your heart and mind. What is is God asking of you this Christmas? You saw what it was in Joseph's life. What is it for you? As a way of trying to encourage one another during this holiday season, we as a a community want to kind of do this together. And and here's here's kind of a communal application of what we're going to do, okay? We are going to start a hashtag called A Very Hope Christmas. I thought for a second this might be a good name of like a little daughter, like Avery, Hope Christmas. And then I looked up Avery and I'm like, oh my goodness, Elf's Wisdom. I'm like, oh, that could be huge to have a little girl, Avery, Hope Christmas. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, okay. But we want to just use this, and and we got the ball rolling on Facebook and on Instagram, and what we're looking for is a way that we as a community, we as a family can kind of go through this holiday together, and we can share stories to help one another, encourage one another. They can be memorable, okay? They can have 
to do with your family that you grew up in. They can have a family that you're with right now. It can have something to do with your hope family. Okay? We, what we're looking for is just stories of encouragement, stories that are memorable, stories that are fun and funny. We love that as a community. Stories that might help one another point people back to Christ this holiday season. And so what I want to do right now, before we have the, the worship team come up, I'm asking for 20 volunteers in this sanctuary. They're going to raise their hand right now and say, I will go online and I'll post a story with that hashtag, okay? I am not moving forward until we get 20 volunteers. Uh, this is forced participation, okay? So if you are willing, to, and it doesn't have to be long. It could just even be a verse. It could just something that just says, all right, get those hands going. Uh, Aaron's counting. Uh, one. I got one, two, three, four, up top. You see, you're like, this is why I sat up top, is because people don't look up here. Six, seven, eight, nine, down back here, I'm coming back down here. Ten, all right, ten more. Eleven, twelve, thirteen. Fourteen. 15. Okay, now at West, that means there's five left over. Raise your hands. Five. Okay, one, two. I'm going to wait. Okay, there's three, four, five. Okay, we got them all. All right. So go on and just share your story. And then, you know, whether it's Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, after the holidays, you got time, just go on those. And, and hopefully, we as a community can encourage one another. This Christmas season. I'm going to pray and we're going to have the worship team come forward. Jesus, you are fully God, fully man. And you came born of a virgin that you might save. And so amidst this holiday season, no matter how we might get the feels, whether it's through a play, a song, through a work party. In the midst of all of that, we want to worship you as the one who came to save, to love, show compassion. In this holiday season, we want to stand amazed. We want to celebrate, God, your work in the world. Chief amongst your work in the world is sending your Son. We glorify you. We worship you. We celebrate you. In Jesus' name, amen.